Hello everybody and welcome to Murvagoon. You will not get there on a road bike, but for this episode probably you will not get there even with a gravel bike. You need something a bit more capable. We are talking about mountain bikes, but not building construction geometries and stuff. We are going to talk about sustainability. We are going to talk about sustainability of building up an infrastructure that gives the possibility to people to enjoy a bit more their rides, explore, loving the experience, but also to everybody who needs to build up things. Because we need to be a bit more sustainable, but not only in an environmental way, but a bit more broader concept. Because this is Sustainable Conversations on the Broom Wagon, and the guest of today is just amazing. But you need to wait another couple of minutes before to be kicked into the conversation. Because first of all, I want to tell you that you can link... It's not linking, actually. Subscribe, listen, share, comment and rate. That's super important in any platform where you are listening to this podcast. And I have to say also sorry because I skipped an episode last week because I'm actually working out on a moving situation. I moved from one apartment to the other and it was kind of a busy day. I know, personal things, but just for you to know that actually from time to time I also skip an episode. I think it's the first time they skip an episode in my five years of the broom wagon. Sorry for that. Uh, apart from that, what else? Yes, remember that down here you can find everything in the episode's notes about the guest of today, but also the coffee money that you can give me something like a bit support to keep this podcast independent and as well the contribution that you can give to um, the sea watch because here also is the link where you can put some money in the bucket even if i continue doing every time that i mention covid or whatever related to that you know that i will drop one swiss franc into my covid jar we actually reached about 400 euros so 420 swiss francs that are already donated to the Sea Watch, but your contribution is really good because I would love to write to 500 bucks. So down there in the description below, you will find the link. Another mention that I have to do is Komoot. Thanks Komoot for continuing supporting my adventures and supporting this podcast. Remember everybody to follow me on Komoot. That is basically look for Broom Wagon uh, in the Komoot uh, application. And as well, remember that you can get your free region on Komoot just by going on komoot.com slash g like Greenland and write the code BROOM to get everything you need on the best Komoot experience in one region. I think that we can kick off the episode of today, right? So my really good friend Bas, we were having a conversation, we were heading into this conversation and I was telling him that I was starting again, the sustainable conversations, and I wanted to have a bit more a broader approach on that. And then he told me, you need to talk with Darko, Darko Kazin. He lives in Switzerland and with this company Allegra Turismus, he's developing mountain bike regions with his help and his experience. We had a talk, we um, found amazing synergies together, and then we recorded the conversation by talking about enriching the territory, but also discovering amazing trails and amazing tracks, and then amazing adventure for the guests, apart from also amazing opportunity for people that are living out to the mountains. We went through philosophical uh, conversation, but also super technical things. So if you want to know more, just stay tuned, and I will talk to you at the end. Sustainable... Ah. I think I cannot speak properly this morning. So, Sustainable Conversation, season number two, episode number three. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that is pretty interesting, and it's talking about 
mountain bike because you all people know how much I love mountain bike lately in the year and uh, territory, culture, sustainability of the trails. Through a couple of touch points, I would say basically mostly thanks to my friend Bas, I got in touch with my guest of today, who is probably one of the most knowledgeable, knowledgeable persons on mountain bike trails in Switzerland and Central Europe. And probably, I don't know, probably it's too much. What do you think? Hi, Darko, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Ciao, Stefano. Yeah, it's, uh, as I would say, uh, Darko. Ah, first, before to start, I'm gonna mispronounce properly your name and surname. So, the guest of today of the Sustainable Conversations is Darko Kazin. Does it work? Perfect. Oh, awesome, awesome. Also, because it's similar to Italian. <laughs> uh, so, I was actually mentioning <laughs> that you know a lot about trails and sustainability of trails and everything. You actually base all your career in this innovative. A branch of the cycling industry with a huge core, of course, on mountain bike. Because actually we want to explore today a bit more on how we can make tourism and let people discover a bit more some amazing places in Central Europe in this case uh, for uh, really exploring and getting a, taking advantage and how would you say actually re-evaluating parts of our territory that are pretty pristine as well as pretty precious and that's exactly what you do right so maybe you can give us an intro about yourself tell us more darko why you are in this uh, situation where you are right now by the way talking about situation your working space it's super beautiful is a mix between minimalism and old-fashioned super effective swiss architecture that's beautiful thank you thank you <laughs> um thank you on that so um yeah, my name is Darko, and you pronounce it perfectly, but however you pronounce it is the, is the right way, because uh, it's, it's not about the name or the pronunciation. And I live in, in Pontresina, in a small village in the eastern part of Switzerland, so in the Alps, in a typical mountain village. And I didn't grow up here, but I grew up close to here, also in a mountain village. And I'm I'm 44 years old now this fall and I feel I'm a pretty typical dude from the Alps. So meaning you grow up with uh, all the privileges that you have in the Alps, so very close to nature, to the, to the mountains, uh, four seasons. You sooner or later get in touch with tourism, but since everything is so small, you have to leave your home turf in a very early stage. So uh with 14, 15, you're forced to go away, you know, for school, to learn a trade or whatever your path might be, you have to leave, right? And so many people here leave and they travel the world. They live in different parts of the world. They speak a lot of languages and you always stay connected to your roots, to your home ground. And I wasn't any different. I was always thinking, you know, how can I contribute to life in the Alps? Um, at some point, I studied economics in Zurich and, and, and one year in Barcelona. And the typical career path was, you know, from that study to go into a bank or an insurance company or a big consulting group. I never cared about that. I was always looking for, you know, how can I contribute to the good life in the Alps? How can I 
make sure that kids that grow up in the Alps have all these privileges I had. Because um, if we look back in the Alps, the Alps used to be, you know, poverty. Um, life was hard. And only in the last century or in some places a little longer, thanks to tourism and other developments, have ki kids and people in general have this great life in the Alps. And so that was like um, where I come from. And that's why it was very important to me to do something professionally that would contribute to that. And I was already older than 20 years when I discovered mountain biking as a tool to contribute to the development of the Alps, of small villages, of big ski destinations. And yeah, that's how I got into mountain biking. But I'm not a mountain biking racer. I'm not a mountain biking pioneer. So I didn't start in the 80s. Um, I was never a very good racer. Today, I'm, I'm a very passionate mountain biker, but I'm a, I'm an average mountain biker. I'm, a, I'm 44 years old. I have three kids, right? So I'm a, uh, on Saturday we have this dad bikes. Ex we we call it the group of exhausted dads. Okay. And you know we go trail we go trail riding, but we're not like the super fit dudes or any stunts. We just like to ride trails. And uh, but back yeah that's. That's how kind of my background, how I got into mountain biking. And that's why I founded a company that's called Allegra, which is almost 20 years old now. It's now 18 years old. And since then, I've uh, developed mountain biking destinations and the beginning as a one-man show. And then the company grew. And now we're a serious company with uh, a lot of cool people that do a lot of cool projects and develop great things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's super great. Super great to hear how actually your roots in the mountains were not just taken out, were not just taken out and brought somewhere else and then developing your skills into banking or any kind of traditional, I would say, business, but actually moving yes. actually to let everybody in the mountains, everybody also cannot enjoy mountains, still enjoy it for their vacations or staying or long weekends exactly. and everything exactly. i just want to ask you a question that probably goes a bit more uh, off track but we are mountain bikers so you are mountain <laughs> biker i'm just yes. leisure something like climb sea cyclist um you were saying that actually basically that's this was actually an interesting start point you were saying that at the beginning and actually from the beginning usually populations living in the Alps, villages living in the Alps were really poor because actually you were living there out of farming, out of, uh, yeah, your cows or your, um, yes, lands or whatever you are growing and cultivating. Uh, but did you see actually a two things, actually? Did you see a change? And when did you see a change from this kind of situation until actually the really the tourism, winter tourism starts? And... How many people you think, example, taking the example of Pontresina, how many people live in Pontresina? And did you see any change lately of people wanting to move back to the mountains and back to the Alps and villages lately last years? And especially now with the kicking of COVID. When I say COVID, sorry, Darko. This is my COVID jar all the time that I mention. <laughs> 
COVID or whatever okay. related to that, something like 2020 vaccine or whatever like this, I'd like to drop a coin. I'm, I'm in for that too. Sign me up for that Perfect. too. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Usually as I drop a coin and everything goes to mm. Sea uh, Watch as a charity. Sea Watch are the guys that are saving the refugees from the central Mediterranean. I already made a, uh, a good, a solid donation for this season. I'm going to actually drop the last coins there online. But just for you to know, if we are naming cool. it, we need to drop a coin. <laughs> good. Yeah. Good thing. Um, so two questions. Yeah. Um, I noticed that when you tell people in Switzerland or internationally, oh, I'm from the Alps, right? People have this image of small villages with chalets, snowy mountains, skiing, uh, maybe some cows, um, Heidi. Those are the images that pop up. These images are not wrong, but they are very young. Here in Pontresina, tourism started 150 years ago, and it was one of the first places in the Alps. Our neighboring places like Livigno or uh, on the Austrian side, their tourism is only 50 years old. So it started after World War II in some places. Mm. Um, before that, for the longest time of history, the Alps were poverty. You had, yes, you had some trading routes, you had some you know, some transportation ways that were important, but most parts of the Alps, you know, long winters, bad farming, a lot of death, bad mobility. So it was it was tough, it was poor. It wasn't a place where you would want to build a life. And only through tourism, and tourism is not, this is important to know, um, tourism in the Alps didn't start with skiing. Okay. In a lot of places, it started with summer tourism, you know, the fresh air. And then in many places, the lifts, so the lifts came before skiing. So lifts in the beginning were not built for the purpose of skiing. Um, it's a little bit different in every place, right? So then came winter tourism. And winter tourism also wasn't always skiing. When it came from the English, it was, you know, mountaineering, climbing the highest peaks, um, it was then the, all the English sports, right? So bobsleigh, curling, all of that sometimes came skiing and it's today still the biggest contributor right but i think mountain biking is just one tool of my generation to contribute to this development to live off of the mountains right because the mountains is all you have in the mountains uh, you can't dig deep and, and and you there's no farming and so what do you do right you're remote you're fragmented so the mountain is like your your resource for living in every sense of the way. Um, the second question was about Pontresina, more short term. So Pontresina has uh, 2,000 permanent residents, right? So it's a very small village, but it has uh, a lot of kids. It has 200 kids in school here, right? So a lot of uh, families, very nice place to live because you have everything, right? It's a Great. I have three children. It's a great place to raise children. Yeah. Um, my my kids walk to kindergarten, you know, the, the youngest. They, they do. It's ah, just so many advantages. And have you seen people move here in the last two years? Yes, we have. I told you about one of my friends of our exhausted dad bike ride groups. He actually, he, he used to be a second homeowner and he was always here with his family during 
their vacation. So they were like semi-local, right? So all the second homeowners are my part-time neighbors. They're not always here, but you know them, you know their kids, you have dinners together. And so they decided during the lockdown to stay here. And during that time, they realized, shit, why do we even have to go back to the city? We can easily, we can manage our work from here and we can be here all the time. Why not live here and go to the city for, you know, if you need your doses of exhibitions or culture or crowds or whatever it is. And so they started that. And they've been living here now for a year and a half. Uh, Super happy. Their life changed completely. And this is just my direct story of of my bike body. Uh, but there's been a lot of stories. Uh, I've met now people from Belgium. Uh, two weeks ago, I met people from, they moved from Vermont. Ah, okay. Right? Yeah. And he's, and, and they moved from Vermont and now they live here uh, because they knew this place from vacation when they were a child and say, hey, you know, people are rethinking, hey, where do I want to live? And what does, you know, especially when you have kids, most of your Life doesn't consist of uh, going to the museum and concerts and going out and having coffee with friends. No, it's everyday things. And so maybe that leads to a shift. And and a lot of, yeah, you see a lot of uh, families, not only families, uh, doing that step already. I think that will have a bigger effect. I think this is only the beginning in that regard. Sorry, that's kind of a long answer. No, 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 but that's completely, that's absolutely perfect because actually, it's already, I believe, thanks actually to, I would call them campaign, to kind of make these villages relieved through tourism and through, I don't know, sh- uh, stronger link with nature and everything that you are actually pushing people to go in places, respecting the places, of course. Not, of course, moving your city life in a little village in the Alps. This doesn't work. But actually slow down your life and going up to the mountains in order to get a better quality of life. Um. Ma- yes, I always quote this uh, Malo- Maloya, the, the brand who does a lot of mountain biking wear. They once had this quote on a shirt that was plainly just relax and move to the mountains. And that's what I tell all my friends. That's lovely. <laughs> oh, I can tell you that, that that's one of my dreams for the future, really. I don't know. Good. I'm going to become father soon and I'm already thinking that probably I don't want to raise oh. a kid in, uh, here in the city. You know what I mean? We are already moving outside of the city, my girlfriend and I. So Marcia and I, we are moving outside of the city. But still, probably the great dream is that... I'm, the point is that I not take advantage of everything that the city is giving me, you know? I'm not going anymore late night bars. I'm not going anymore uh, to... Okay, I'm going to some museum stuff, to the cinema, or meeting friends or having walk into the city. But shopping is never has never been my thing. Also, this is one reason why I build up also the sustainable conversation or drinking late night. I have been doing it since I was 30. Now I'm almost 40. I'm 40, actually. So I don't care time anymore. Now for me is going to bed. So going early to bed. Sorry. Yeah. Early to bed and early to shred in the morning, going to bed early in the night and then the day after going up to the mountains, riding my bike or stuff. So do I really need the city? And still, we were talking before, Pontresina is three hours with a train from Zurich. So it's not a far away Apple. thing. You can go there, you can come back. We were, exactly, we were um, 
in the same situation, right? Our our first child was born in Zurich. Um, I was very into, you know, cultural design things the city had to offer. But that completely changed um, with the child. And then when our first second child was born, uh, we, we said, okay, let's try the mountains now. Because the worst thing that can happen is we don't like it, uh, but we have never questioned it since. And that's been eight years now that we're back um, from the city in the mountains. And we were in the city for 15 years before. Yeah. And now we're eight years back in the mountains. And maybe time will come to go back to the city. But now my wife and I really, you know, we do weekends. Um, when we lived in the city, we did the weekend in the mountain. Now we do weekends in the city. And the great part, apart from um, apart from the privilege you have with that, is also um, you always go against the grain in traffic. So always when we do our weekends, Always on the other side of the highway, we have people, <laughs> traffic not moving. And, and uh, yeah, so it's it's a very easy thing. To do. <laughs> no, absolutely. And also another thing that I was thinking, I believe that actually we're talking about rides. Let's talk about cycling anyways. After work, yes. rides are way, more <laughs> are way more interesting up there in the mountains that's here in Zurich. On city, I usually do always the same loop. Okay, I live close now. I live really close to Hongeberg. So for me, it's super cool. Mm. I go out, I just go to the trails. I'm feeling good and stuff. But I can imagine that being in the mountains is something like it's a different playground, really a playground. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And, um, and plus it's, yeah, mainly most people who live here live here because of the here they so you have a lot of people that live here that are here to to play right they uh either if it's water sports or snow sports or or biking or they're trail runners but uh that's the good thing i um i ride often <laughs> i ride awesome. often yeah i ride often yeah yeah i my of course most of my rides are not eight hours day rides, of course not, but uh, I ride very often. And when I ride, I have high quality trail, yes. That's perfect. And actually also clear mind when you're coming back on your desk or clear mind mm -hmm. when you're going back to your family. You have something more to very offer. Much. So Yes, yeah. hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to ask them about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so perfect. Um, Let's kick on then the conversation on sustainability, maybe. Yes. And uh, we were talking about quality of life that, in my opinion, is 100%, yes. especially for the things that are we saying. So nature, we are seeing, yes. I think, the words in the same way. And it's yes. actually having high quality of nature life, outdoors and stuff. But in talking about mm. sustainability and your... I would call it task, probably, or a mission, even better. Your mission that you're making together with your company, the project that you started, you said, mm, how many years ago you said? Something like 18 years ago. The mission that you started 18, in yeah. yes, 18 years ago. Yeah. How would you combine then this, your mission with sustainability itself? Because we had already this conversation. We had a pre-call, everybody. So mm. it's not that we know each mm. other for a long time, but we had a super compelling mm. pre-talk mm -hmm. some days ago. And you talked to me about different layers of sustainability. It's for sure environmental sustainability, yes. but with different nuances. Tell me more about that. Yeah. 
Yes, so with our purpose to wanting bring to wanting to bring quality of, of, of life for the next generations in the Alps, for instance, today it's not the Alps anymore, it's areas all over the world, right? But really using the tool of mountain biking to give uh, rural areas or maybe um, areas that are normally excluded or have disadvantages uh, when it comes to economic development. Um, so this is in the first layer also a goal of added value, a goal of um, you know more economics, of bringing more money, more value, right? And so this um, in the normal conversation of sustainability is like the bad guy, right? This is the bad association because but we're bringing we're trying to bring more added value more money into these regions, dot. That comes to a cost because tourism in general, but also mountain biking in general, does not have the zero effect on the environment. It has, it has an effect on the environment. The thing is, for us, mountain biking can have a very low impact on the environment, compared to the economic impact it can have. And um, when we go into the details on how we develop mountain biking, we can do it in a very sustainable, environmentally friendly way. And this is not only, you know, in trail building, in like when we build trails or when we maintain trails, or when we bring, bring back old trails to be used again, um, it's also in the small things, you know, um, what we do as a company, but also, you know, how is a washing station being designed? Uh, why is it not a hose anymore and uh, just out on a field? Well, because we have uh, oil lubricants and other stuff on our bikes that we don't necessarily want to go down into the field of the farmer, right? So everything counts. And then... Um, the big topics, of course, then are um, trail building is kind of like the topic that's in the forefront because people often get times, oh, this mountain biking, you know, building all these tracks, moving nature. But the biggest environmental impact from mountain biking tourism is still how people get here, right? Transportation. Um, and so how can we improve uh, public transportation, so trains, buses within the destinations and ideally also coming into the destination so that the impact becomes lower. But clearly our sustainability balance is triggered by, is triggered by the economic side. We want to have economic impact in, a, in an environmentally friendly way and in a social way. So we're trying it to make, you know, attractive for small businesses and so on. We really want to make a difference. Yeah, from, the, you know, the, the Alps, tourism is, a, is an ecosystem of a lot of small businesses. Um, sometimes people have an image, well, tourism in the Alps is dominated by these big, big ski companies. They exist, right? But the far majority of the players are small businesses, you know, 
be it a ski bike shop, be it a hotel, be it a restaurant. These are all small businesses um, where we can really, really make a difference, you know? And so that's our, um, where we come from. So maybe kicking off the sustainability discussion. Uh, that's pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, stressing a bit more into the, let's say, workflow financial way. So you yes. were telling us that in for making your so in pushing up your work and uh, setting up the plans and everything you take care of every detail so you were talking about public transport or transport in general you were talking about for example you made the example also Mali, about the um, cleaning station you were talking about working with the small shops and stuff how does it work you arrive in a place and you set up the the plan and with all the little details you talk directly with the municipality or you try to let's say arrange a networking of small shop or so the basic of my question is you come from the top dropping the plan discussing it with authorities or you come from the bottom trying to network everything with really uh, grassroots and actually really making the villages and the communities what they are and work community-wise because i can understand that the advantages of bo on both sides but yeah. i think that actually the approach can be interesting to understand i think uh here you're at the very core of allegra it's important for me to state allegra is not a trail building company great we built we built trails we also built trails we like to believe that we build them in the best possible way available. Hmm? But we're not a trail building company. We're a development company. So our work starts way before a trail is built is just one side, but before it is signed or officialized or maintained or restructured, our work starts way before. And we always start um, with including all the local stakeholders because top-down uh, can't be done in tourism. Tourism is not organized that way. Only in North America and in some places in Japan is it organized like a corporation. In most places of the world, tourism, the tourism business works like an ecosystem, right? An ecosystem that has a lot of different players that are independent, small businesses. It's a they're somehow dependent, but they have no advisory competence, right? So the lift company cannot tell the hotel what to do. But it's also not a free market because the small hotel cannot say, oh, I don't like my lift company here. I'm going to move to the next destination tomorrow. No, the hotel is there, right? They can't move. So it's the special setting of a, of a business ecosystem and these layers have to be coordinated. And it's super important to have everybody together on the same page. Um, we can only bring in expertise from the market. What's the law? What's the necessity of the final client, you know, of the guest that comes? But that has to fit with the local wants and needs. So we... Sometimes we also have destinations where the final output is, okay, mountain biking is not for you. Do something else. But that's also a finding saying, hey, we're not going to do mountain bike tourism. 
But if we're going to do mountain bike tourism, we have to do it in a way that it fits with the local population. Otherwise, it will never be sustainable. Because what happens then is we come in as experts. We write a nice paper, a nice plans. Maybe we even build something. But as soon as the expert is gone, the whole thing crumbles. Our goal, and this is a really bad business model, Stefano, our goal has to be to develop a destination to a certain point where they need less and less of us, right? Yeah. yeah. So sustainab- sustainability is when hotels don't need us anymore because they know how to treat these clients. When um, we have educated the local guides and ideally created new jobs, but they have now their form, they go on by themselves. Um, when the tourism association knows how to do their marketing, they know who their target groups, there's always developments, but it's really empowering the local people uh, through a process. This is always takes multiple years, but then it's truly sustainable. We have so many examples where it comes top down, where some kind of expert, not just mountain biking, tourism, any kind of development work, comes and says, oh, mountain biking, for instance, is the new thing. I'm going to write you this paper. This is how you're going to do it. Bam, press conference. We're going to be the new center of mountain biking. And nothing ever happens because nobody was involved. It's over everybody's head. So this, um, in your words, this approach from the bottom up is very sustainable. It's the long route. It's not the easy route because... uh, in practice, when you ask about the how, we're in meetings where people are flipping you off, you know, showing you the finger and saying, oh, blah, and this, blah. Because when you do that, all the emotions of uh, other projects come together and so, but it's it's worthwhile. That's amazing. No, that's uh, that's pretty, pretty interesting because, yeah, as you were saying, we're talking about, I love the example that you made. We're talking about an, eco- an ecosystem. If all the players don't work together, then there is a gap and this gap can actually let all the crumbles fall apart all the card buildings fall apart and that could be really complicated especially if you have to start back or if you have to convince them back so it's really a job that you have to do from from the bottom as you were saying yeah um still talking about and then we are going to move a bit more in something that i really like it but Let's go on something that I like probably even more. In our conversation a couple of days ago, we were talking about the cultural heritage. I think that we can stay here yes. talking about, I don't know, about it for hours. Because let me put something in a, everything in a context and correct me if I'm wrong. We were talking about mountain bikes. Mountain bikes stays on the ground. And they mean actually talks and uses all the way of transport, all the mean of transport, and all the trails in this case, that were there. You can build something new, but they were there. And it's different, I think, from skiing, for example, because once the snow and the powders arrive, you can basically, if you are skilled, ski everywhere and build up stuff everywhere with mountain bikes or even with hiking or whatever you want. You need to stay on trails. So you have two ways of doing it, obviously. There is building new trails and then it's going to be... And so in this case, probably you are building up a bike park, I would say, putting all the features that you want, the drops, the jumps, um, all the things that you want there, the rock gardens or whatever. Another way, sustainable, 
that you can take for developing this thing is taking the ways that were there forever since the times as you were mentioning before where there were only farmers or people that needed to trade from one side to the other they were using these trails and then after uh, roads building and then car driving and everything like this were actually probably forgot and has been forgot uh, forgotten and then in this case actually by using back these trails and talking to people about why don't we maintain that or teaching to people this was the road that people before were using for trading or for messaging or for talking or for living their life there you're really building up a knowledge and as well as let's say revitalize the cultural heritage that's how you called it exactly this is the way you work, but tell me more about the process and tell me, maybe we're going to talk about that later. Tell me about the process first. <laughs> so the process, that's exactly right. We have to be aware when we talk trail building, we always see these images, you know, of diggers and cool dudes building new features. But most of trail building, trail building is not something particular to mountain biking. Trail building has been going on forever, right? Humanity has built trails. And in the Alps, it means it's part of our history because we've always had trails for, you know, for agriculture, for bringing to the cows to their summer stays higher up and back, um, for smuggling. That's here. I live in a border region, right? People were smuggling. I mean, even my dad, as a 12-year-old, was still smuggling cigarettes over to Italy. Um, this was a real thing. And so they had their smuggling trails where they could go with their Jeeps. Then, of course, the wars. Um, also here in the border areas, but everywhere in the Alps is a border area. So they created, especially for World War I, they created insane networks of, these are not like single trails, but it's also not forestry roads. It's, you know, roads about one and a half to two meters wide, um, super nice slope because they had to get there with heavy armory way to the highest mountains you know to the strategical points where you could see your enemy and and then crazy things and those things have been has have been forgotten a bit because in our leisure activities many of these routes are too far to hike right only for the very sporty hiker and Mountain biking has brought back value to these old structures. So most of the work we do, even in developing a product, but also in the specific side of trail building, is on existing trails, uh, giving, adapting them to this new use of mountain biking. And a great friend here from Valtellina, from the Italian side, Vincenzo Osmetti, he wants um, in his area, we discovered a network of old war um, of old roads of World War One, and we made bike routes out of them. And he said, "Hey, imagine a century ago, these roads were used to, you know, to fight, to divide brothers from one from both sides of the border. Today, through mountain biking, the same roads connect." That's super powerful. What's supposed to be connected. Wow, that's super powerful. It's super beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's really how it works, yeah. Yeah, and 
on that. So I believe that on... Yes. I'm just, I would say, speculating. Tell me if I'm wrong. But I truly believe that actually you are going to um, a tour, a village, a tourist village where you can see potential. And before presenting your pitch to the network, to the municipality, to whoever you have to pitch, you are making some research, right? And some of this research is yes. really on the historical part. So first of all, finding the trails. And then I think that you need not to build up a story, but at least to let people aware what happened there and what you want to do and stuff. In this research, also because another thing that you told me last time, you have been working with Switzerland, with Italy, uh, Austria, the old Alps, but also you yes. talked to me about Japan, right? You are pretty broad with your company. Exactly. Mm. Is there in your research play, in your research structure, in research job, something cool that you discover? Is there a story behind it that you found out and that helped you on uh, developing, let's say, the perfect experience for, first of all, the first experience for the municipality and the perfect, and for the network, actually, for the community, and the perfect experience then for the people that then use these trails, use this experience? Um. Yes. Um, there's always a story, right? So this story uh, of Vincenzo, that's basically his story of his trail. Um, so his trail, you know this as an Italian, uh, the trail we discovered has 80 switchbacks. So 80 tornantes, yeah. the Italian word for uh, switchback. So it became tornantissima. And Vincenzo really played this, hey, you know, people from Germany, from, from Austria, from Switzerland, from Italy. This is now a connecting, right? This is his story. This is his story. It's a story of peace, of progression of the, of the humankind, if you want, so on. And there's stories like this everywhere, if you dig deep, because the places have been populated. In Japan, it was, a, you know, a story about, an analogy about um, how... Skiing came to Japan. He was a, an Austrian guy, and now he has a statue and so on. And so we told the local people, hey, you can now, maybe you'll have the statue in 10, 20 years because you're the one that brought mountain biking here to Lovely. make a difference for the local people. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of sets um, where we worked on, on these stories. They can all, always be found. They don't have to be created. They only have to be discovered. Even here in trail building, in front, 10 kilometers from my house, when we build a new trail, we were trying to find a solution for a new route of mountain bikers. We found an old Roman road that was under, that was under the turf, that was under the ground. It could not be seen anymore. But one of our guys dug deep in one of the archives of uh, old road infrastructure and he saw a line and he said hey there needs to be old road infrastructure underneath here and we actually got to dig it up and the mountain bike trail now runs over you know original rocks that were set wow. there probably during roman times and they were forgotten you know below cow shit and turf and grass and now you go over that and mountain bikers but not only mountain bikers people in general are looking for these kind of experiences, right? To really resonate your inner self with the mountain. And that takes much more than just skiing or mountain biking in a narrow way. It's not just the activity, right? It's experiencing 
with all your senses and being out there. And then for some, it's more the bike park. For some, it's more the 100K gravel ride, whatever is more accessible to you. But I think in the very profound way, we're really looking to resonate with, with the mountain. And last short story, uh, I Please. underestimated the power of that until about, when was it? 20, six years ago, 2015. I did a route here near Paso Stelvio with two of my friends, a route that we know well, that we do maybe once every two years. And I grew up there as a child. I spent my summers up there in the, as a child. So very remote area at 2,500 meters. And so we're on this track and we come to this, um, to this fortress when it starts raining. And we go into this fortress to find shelter and there's, there's, a, there's, um, there's a girl there and she's from uh, Berlin hiking the Alps. And from that point, you could see an old barn where um, I used to herd goats as a child. Okay. And so this girl comes over to us and we start talking and she asks us, are you local? And my friends goes, yeah, we're local. And here, Darko, he used to herd the goats down there, right? And he just says it because it's true. And this girl started crying. No way. And we were like, okay. And she said, hey, this image, I'm up here on, you know, high altitude from Berlin. I just wanted to escape my everyday life because I'm so stressed. I'm out here camping three days and now I met you and it rains. And you're telling me in this sm small shack down here, you used to live as a seven-year-old? What the hell is going on? It touched her so much where I realized, oh, shit, yeah. If you look at it, it's kind of like not a very human-friendly environment. If I look at it from like a Berlin perspective, I cannot believe it myself. And it wasn't about my story for her. It was just about for her to trying to reconnect, you know, with things that are real, not being in the in the subway in Berlin and doing the same shit over, over and again and being self-controlled, but actually like just getting this power from the mountain, this vibe from the mountain to actually remind you who, who you are, to give a feel for your inner self. And I think that's super powerful. Yeah. And that's why the stories and the heritage are powerful. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's great because I completely understand now. I don't want to make actually cheap philosophy here, but the point is that you are really reprocessing the needs that you have. Being back to uh, the kind of really the grassroots on what actually the persons up to the Alps, but in general, the person, human being needs to live. Living in a big city, you are a bit more stressed on how, um, let's say, when the supermarket is going to be closed or how I can get my last beer before going to bed and this and that. Being there with the rain into finding a shelter that is kind of pretty rough and stuff and listening to these stories, really I think that actually it flips all the system around and that's the good story that you want to tell people in order to get back, let's say, to what really nature is and what really nature and of human being the human nature is and that's great yes i think that's the power of of the mountain when we go back to the beginning of our conversation and it's not necessarily just the view you know seeing 100 peaks or or being on top of a mountain or or or, or climbing the peak or or beating this climb 
I think it goes much, much deeper. It has much more to do with uh, connecting with something that's bigger than yourself. And uh, yeah, mountain biking is a great way to give people access to that. Absolutely, absolutely. And not just to bring back the conversation to my background, but this is also the power on a great story, on how to tell a great story. And if you want to go deep, and maybe we're going to go go in this direction now, education. Because that's the thing. You can actually be there by yourself in the shelter if you don't know that really somebody... We're not talking about 700,000 years ago, but we are talking about 20 years ago, 30 years ago. People were living there. and we are, They were actually doing something in order to... I don't want to say to survive, but also just to spend their time there and get the most out of their life. Yes. That's, you know, we're talking about 30 years ago. I have memories of 30 years ago, right? And 30 years ago, I was going down and riding my bicycle in the in a concrete jungle in the south of Italy, you know? While other people like you, they were really living a different life, a pretty natural life up to the Alps. And this is the way. A good story, putting everything in a context that will flip around all your vision of life that you had till then and that's great of course probably she could told she could uh, told us the story of the wall in the same time and this would be exactly powerful at the same time because flips over completely our perspective so yeah a good story and a good education is also as powerful as the mountains probably probably a bit less powerful let's put it in this way uh, still talking about education darko i just want to ask you this question because that's the point that we are touching right we are talking about historical heritage yes. we are talking about as well talking with different stakeholders in the villages in the tourism area in order to make something that is concrete and sustainable yes. and is as well i think talking with people that need to use the trails that we were talking about all these kind of spectrum of possibilities, all these kind of spectrum of uh, um, options that we're talking about, everything goes to education. How big is the education and how do you... So how big is the education field that you need to put in place for your project and how actually you, you make it happen, you put it really on the ground? If you consider education in a broader sense then education makes up of a huge part of our work, starting with presenting an opportunity to local people, right? So just explaining local people, what's mountain biking? Who are these people who are mountain biking? What's the economic potential? What's the impact? What are the mountain biking stories? And so on. So that, that could consider education. Of course, then it becomes more specific when it goes into service providing, we touched before on educating guides, educating hotels, educating also the service personnel, you know, whoever rides the, the public transportation, that the person who drives the bus knows who these people are that wait sweaty and dirty and that they're good customers and guests and welcome. So that's all education. In the end, then, it's also around the trail, you know, educating people how to maintain their trail, mm. how they have to change the trail maintenance they've done for the past 30 years so that it's, so that it's also viable for mountain biking. And, yeah, basically, if we develop and consult, we're, you could call it education in a broader way way absolutely and it's a huge part and last year um when 
travel was restricted. We had, um, you know, education to do in in um, North Macedonia, and we couldn't travel. And so we we thought, um, how could we solve it? And Allegra has always been very progressive in sharing our knowledge, our experiences. Right? We're we're a small company. We're a small company, and we were always very aware that we are not the only ones driving sustainable mountain biking tourism. We need everybody and we need all of our competition. So we were always very open in sharing all of our knowledge to be used by everybody, included our competition, because we knew we had to establish this market together. And Allegra is way too small. Allegra can make a contribution, but far from the main force. And so last year it all came together and we founded an online academy that we're building now to say all of our knowledge, and again, from building trails to knowledge about the market, we're now setting up online courses. And we have one in English and we now have five in German that we're setting up and building to, to share this because, yeah, it doesn't make sense, you know, for you if you're in Southern Italy to invite Darko for a week so that he does a lot of, or some cool keynote presentations and your mayor says, oh, we're going to do mountain biking and we're having a press conference. No, it's much more sustainable if you do a 12-week online course. You have the same knowledge from Darko. Okay. Um, you can also interact with him, but you, in the end, you have a plan that's specific for your municipality or for your destination. And so um, this break and diving even more into the digital realms of education, I think has made Allegra and the Allegra product more sustainable in itself as well. So education plays a big part in that. Yeah, and I completely feel the point and I really like this approach because this was always also my point of view since when I was working in completely different environment and I was pitching ideas and people were telling me, why do you don't just copyright the idea because somebody can come over and steal it? I'm not trying to, and I was saying all the time, no, I were never trying to establish a thing that is exclusive. It was always an inclusive path because, and it's the same thing with this podcast or whatever, for me, it's just telling to everybody which one is the method and my approach. Then you can use the same method and use a different approach. The more, the better. The more people are invited to this party of uh, inclusivity, of sustainability, of uh, a different point of view, slow riding, not competitive ideas and stuff, the better we are going to try to make this kind of environment a bit better. Environment, of course, in a really broad way. And uh, that's the same thing, because I think that actually I understood your idea is not taking over all the mountain bike projects of the world, but actually teaching to people no. to make their own. And yes. you can do it by yes. giving, so taking over the project, of course, or also giving people the tools of making their own with your exactly. basis, with your approach, not with your method. Yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, that's copywriting is an interesting. Uh, is an interesting quote. Um, I once read in a design bookshop um, in a hip city, cosmopolitan city, the first page, uh, 
was one quote and it was a uh, copyright is for losers um, i love it and i think it just touches um, one is the business side right protecting and stuff but the other side is you know how do you want to live at allegra we developed a lot of methods that are now used in other destinations that are used by our competition um you know there's whole events that are structured according to our methods we don't see a cent of that and i don't care i really like to see that people are actually using it and the method works you know um i mean my <laughs> my life is great but you know how what a great satisfaction it is to go to a destination to a village and see how life has improved yeah and and you know some of them are the projects you currently work on and where you in touch and you see oh more kids into mountain biking and more more um, more business open and the local people stay there in the summertime and they'll go away and stuff beautiful things but then you go to places where you've been the last time for seven eight years ago and you go back and this happened to me i won't tell you where otherwise i'm i'm too ashamed for myself but very close to here in valte okay so four years ago i go back to this uh hotel where i knew the family we worked a lot with them in around 2005 2006 and i'm going in there and everything's ready for mountain biking and the whole vibe and they're happy and everything and i looked at this place and it was like transformed like small hotel with 40 beds uh and when we first met them they had no summer business they were depressed they were thinking who has to leave the the family business now everybody's there and I was in there and I was just catching the vibe. And then all of a sudden I heard um, um, the, the, the owner lady coming around the corner and I left. And I left because I knew, hey, if I'm going to meet her right now, I'm just going to burst into tears and I'm just not going to, I'm not going to manage it. Imagine what great feeling that is if you can actually feel the positive impact you can have with something um, that you do. So in, in that context, copyright really is for losers. Um, first of all, who am I to say, you know, to say an idea is only mine or a method is only mine, but uh, compared to that satisfaction of actually doing things, copywriting is for losers. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely agree with you. Um, that's really great and as well, that's super powerful. I can feel completely your vibes, emotions and everything and all the effort that you're putting in your job. And uh, also to see how actually the improvement is tangible and that's super great. Still talking about improvements and still talking about education. I was poking around your website, by the way, people is allegra-turismus.com a bit of advertising because you can find also there Thank especially you. in the blog session not only in everything there but in the blog session there are some amazing content that you can see and actually this is another time the approach about uh, sharing knowledge and stuff with your blog section you are doing a lot of this and it's super interesting but yes talking around in uh, the website itself i found out in the german part so I actually trained my German as well, that another task that you are accomplishing is building palm tracks. And this is something that goes yes. really in 
edu in the education field, but still in growing the new generations. What was actually the idea behind building up the pump track and how is it going and how do you feel actually the vibes of people or people that you are pitching this idea is how it is? How it is. Um, pump track business is growing and people especially, and this is not for the Alps, especially in the cities, urban area, are seeing the value of a pump track to get more people moving healthy out to be social, to have real encounters. The value of pump track is incredible on a social health level. Um, our story of pump tracks is dates from a very early encounter with Eric Bergen, um, he Canadian guy who did extreme mountain biking, like, you know, jumping off these big wooden constructions. And he had a show with uh, was called the, no the North Shore Show, yeah. And we invited them to the World Championships in Livigno. And they were based with a structure in Finale Ligure with Enrico Guala. Mm -hmm. And I invited them and they, uh, and we organized this show within the, the World Championships. And I stayed in touch with Eric and Eric was 17 back then. And he fell in love in Italy, moved to the Czech Republic and started building the modular pump track. So the pump track system, which can be assembled yeah. any way you want. And uh, we became a distributor. Uh, and so that's what we're still doing. And so, but my pump entry to pump track was really thanks to Eric. Uh, and that's how I got into and got to see. Also for us, it was, that's also when we took mountain biking out of the, mountains right we started with this approach from the alps today we've built trails you know a trail center outside of tokyo which is definitely not rural anymore <laughs> yeah of course. that's not that's the least rural in the world maybe you can get and we started ah not this thing is much bigger than just mountain biking in in the mountains it's also about mountain biking around the cities it's about getting kids to move and so that's where pump tracks come in or also these uh, small trail centers that we're building that are highly successful. You're, you know, on a, on a little piece of land, you build like two case of trails and all of a sudden you have 30,000 visitors because people just want to get out. The same thing. And so, uh, yeah, it came through Eric and uh, pump tracks are still growing and will be growing. We're just over the face where people know what a pump track is. So the concept is still pretty new and it will still be growing. Yeah, that's great. It's great actually entrance door in everything that is related to discovering a yes. bit more nature in yes. general and mountain bike in particular. Yeah. Yes. Uh, still talking about these two things. So 2019 on, probably before, probably after, is actually the kick in of one thing that I talked to you about, and the second thing that came out into my mind this morning when, during my coffee break. Actually, now lately we have seen a, a couple of changes into the mountain, uh, let's say, unpaved road world. E-bike and gravel bikes. What's your take on that? How do you think this is going to change the Allegra job 
for trail building or even better for, I don't know, giving an offer, giving the possibility to hotels and small activities um, to offer new kind of activities for people that... So that actually opened a bit more the possibilities of from e-bike, from gravel rides, whatever. What's your take on that in terms of developing and in terms of also maintaining the trails and education of the users? And yeah. So I think it's now five years ago that we had our first e-mountain bike study days in okay. south of Tyrol with Allegra and three three amazing women that organized that with us. Um, I have to quote them. It's um, Christina Kuling, Michaela Zingerle and Cici Persch without whom those days would not have been possible. But we organized a yearly gathering to e-mountain biking. So this is more than five years ago. And because we recognized immediately, this is gonna not change everything, but accelerate everything. And of course it has changed a lot for Allegra, for our clients, for culture here, uh, you know, everywhere we work. Uh, more people getting more access to trails, which is a great thing. Uh, we then also measured really scientifically, you know, what's the impact um, of the heavier bikes on the trail. Mm. And it's clear to say whether a trail is sustainable for e-mountain bikes or not is still more dependent on the way a trail is built than if you ride it with a 25 or a 10 kilo bike, if you ride it with large tires or not. Those are details. Um, those are details that don't make a big difference. Um, so I'm very, I see a huge opportunity clearly still in, electric, in the electrification of, of the bike in, in general. And here, one is for sports, so people who want to mountain bike with an electric engine, but also uh, the commuter side of things is, I know, very relevant in the cities, right? So it's much easier to commute around Zurich and hope, hopefully it will, not, it will replace cars, right? Reclaiming back the space for actually human beings that cars are now. But the same is true for um, for rural areas that have tourism, right? So, for instance, um, Sölden in the Ötztal, very strong tourism region, one of the strongest in Austria, has a traffic problem, right? Because the roads are not big enough, a lot of cars, a lot of things. Now they have a cycling path all through the valley. The cycling path helps reduce traffic because you can't forget in tourism... You know, once if you go on vacation, you may want to go to the lake, to the glacier or whatever is there. You want to go and see the wild birds. And classically, you would take the car and then maybe hike or a horse carriage. Now people are doing that by electric bike. So it's That's great. It's amazing. It's amazing. So the commuter aspect of things also plays into tourism, which is amazing. Of course, it brings huge issues, especially in planning the bigger routes because just a we all saw that um more bikes more frequencies more chaos on the roads and that's the same like in the city in the rural areas the the bike network the network of bike trails bike routes needs to have uh, proper planning and the regions that have done that in the past 10 years 
they're ready for it. And in some other regions, it's just chaos <laughs> because it's it's going so fast now. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty interesting. So basically, it's a huge opportunity. Let's put it this way. It's a huge opportunity because yes. more and more people yes. are getting into bikes. And so actually, probably the challenge from your side is letting the infrastructure grow sustainably around this new uh this new opportunity that is there in terms of exactly. uh, e-bikes building the right trails for them or giving also new possibilities for e-cyclists or just gravel cyclists or people that want to enjoy in a different way the trails and give something like making the best ground of it to make this opportunity grow. Exactly. And, when, and if we talk about sustainability, you know, the media always talks about the batteries, the engine, you know, the lithium, all of that. That's a factor. Um, however, in the rural areas, we cannot play like we're the holy saints and say, oh, the batteries are so bad, while we have way too many cows, for instance, on our meadows, uh, shitting in our water, shitting, uh, really destroying nature much more. So uh, we can very gladly talk about the ecological impact of e-bikes in the rural, remote areas. But then let's really talk ecology. And then we have to talk about agriculture and forestry as well. Yeah. Right? Then let's talk about it all together. Yeah, no, that's super great. Also, because it seems like, yeah, this could be actually probably a topic that you can say, okay, but you're actually not comparing apples with apples. But actually it is. Because once you, if you are developing a new mountain bike kind of tourism and uh, you are making those forests a bit more valuable than uh, the fields where actually all the cows that are massive grown and all these kind of things. We can talk about that. But you're making the same forest as valuable as the other uh, field that we have there, then the things the, change. The, the common ground the common ground is the mountain Absolutely. as a resource, right? Absolutely. For living. Mm -hmm. So do you want to put 500 way too heavy, not for that ground designed cows that for a summer that leave their feces that, uh, you know, are not good for the water, that whole hillsides start to slide because it's just too much weight. Um, I'm, I'm painting an extreme picture, right? There's a lot of good farming going on, but of course. Uh, do you want to bring these electric cows or bikes on the mountain? Um, how do you want to act with your forestry? There it's a topic of financing. You know, do you want to build the next trail or a trail system for a few million? Or do you want to build the next forestry road to get 200 trees for 3 million? It's, it's a trade-off that we have to talk about. And of course, ecology will always be impacted. Again, mountain bike tourism is not zero emission. Of course. It has an impact on nature. Um, but we just have to yeah, treat it on a, on a larger aspect, but we can't just isolate e-biking by itself. No, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, there is a lot of conversation, maybe we're going to do it in another time, but about e-biking and then the batteries and then also the electricity that you're using. But here the conversation is super big because then we need to talk as well why and how we create energy. And we have to say that in Switzerland here, we are pretty lucky because most of the electricity is created by hydropower 
and that's super good and stuff. And then, of course, the batteries are there. But do we want to talk about e-mountain biking or do we want to talk about electric cars and stuff? We don't have to play all the time the green superhero game, just putting everything on the right scale and understanding. No, definitely not. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, because this Definitely. could be actually applied as well without the batteries, in mountain bike without the batteries. And then we can talk about what we eat, what we wear, and all this kind of thing. The thing that I always say, talking about the sustainable conversations, is, well, we are not, we as a cyclist or outdoor, outdoor lovers or whatever, we are not the green super, uh, super humans, no. the green... no, uh, no. No. Let's say superhero going around and teaching no. to everybody that going with a bike is better than going with a car. It's not always like this. Just put everything on the ground no, no, and no. talk about good examples. Exactly. Exactly. No, but, de definitely. Definitely not. Yeah. No. I have the last question for you, Dark, also because we're going over time. Yes. We talked. So actually, I shaped this question in a way that I want to talk to you about what was the best experience you got for. Uh, in your past and what the future of Allegra or the future of Darko looks like. We talked a bit about some cool experience that happened to you. You told me the story of the shelter in the Stelvio. You told me the story of the small hotel uh, owner that actually built up everything better around mountain bikes. These are already super cool and super powerful stories. If you want to add something over there, please do it. Otherwise, let's talk about the future. What's in the future? Yes, I'm, I think I made big circles around your questions with different stories there there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stories and i think looking back that makes up for the best experience it's not it's not building a trail or it's not writing a concept or it's not uh, it's not you know bringing the next bike destination on the map it's always the people behind it you know um it's, in my memory is always the encounter with the people um so if you talk for instance we touched on japan before that i love japan uh that sounds also great to build mountain biking in japan but what sticks to me is you know visiting the guy in a small shack with only four tables and he does he does one kind of japanese pasta with buckwheat so the japanese version of pizzoccheri that you may know from, from altelina <laughs> yeah i miss that and they're so much. eaten cold and he's been doing the same ones for more than 10 years and he does it only for lunch always fresh and it's he only has so much and then all of a sudden people come in and he's like i'm out of it he does this every day for more than a decade and he says he still hasn't done the perfect dish yet of one dish yeah? yeah, he hasn't done it perfectly well. So encounters with people top for me, top everything. And then if you're able to influence or to help them in their life and make it better just a bit, that's ah, that's the greatest thing. And I think uh, Allegra will continue on that in in the future. And Allegra will also continue to reinvent itself. When I started as a one man show. We didn't build any trails. You know, I helped in the world championships in Livigno and then I helped trace the trails and I did signage by myself. I maintained the trails by myself. And we've then we were more consultants and now we do a lot of work with this academy with uh, data is a huge issue, you know, measuring frequencies on trails. Um, what you touched on, you know, how can mountain biker become a factor 
for these remote places to become a more attractive place to live, not to go to vacation. Mm. Um, palm tracks are evolving. Uh, so I don't know exactly. I know we're going to shape Allegra around the people, around the people we meet and uh, around the people that are Allegra, around our team. Um, I don't know what that means for five years. I know we will not be the same than we are today. That's perfect, Darko. And that's probably the best shout out to the future that you can do. Staying close to the people in order to develop actually the best service for people yes. and not and for the territory being close to the people and not for hmm. businesses. And uh, that's a great thing. Darko, it was an amazing conversation. Thanks a lot. I loved actually that as usual in this kind of conversation, I talk more Take about care. anecdotes. I talk more about concepts themselves than not people. Of course, people is still there, but it's not talking about facts and numbers and figures. It's a bit more about this kind of theoretical and lovely stuff. And uh, yeah, it's great. And it's really great to know how people are really trying to evolve this kind of typology of business let's say but anyways evolution of people in this way and that's super great so thanks a lot for the conversation today it was super inspiring thank you thank you very much stefano <laughs> i will talk to you soon and uh, yes again thanks and have a great day you too stefano amazing cool thank you very much and thanks a lot darko for the amazing conversation it was just special that's the way and now i really believe that they need to move to the mountain to live you already listened to the conversation that we had at the beginning with darko and you already know how much i would be keen on escaping the city and then you say okay stefano you just said at the beginning that you changed the apartment you weren't ready to move let's see what the future heads me to and uh, let's see what it's gonna be the best but i would really love to spend some more time in the mountains also because last weekend there was at the gravel epic and we spent some time and shampoo luck in the valleys region in uh, it was the refuge larpet and it was a 1600 meters just completely into the natures the only sound that i could listen to it was the one of the river the stream that was close to the refuge and as well maybe some mice that were going around and also uh yeah nature that is just super loud and this is the only sound that i would love to listen and maybe from time to time from now on you're gonna listen as well to the bells because i have a church just up here to my new flat but yeah this is something bearable but cars and all the other noises i don't know i'm too old for that Apart from everything, thanks a lot, Darko, and please, I actually encourage everybody of you to go to Allegra Turismus, look at it for Google or just down here in the description below, you're going to find the link, and look a bit more on what they have to offer, especially, as I was saying also during our interview, uh, the content section is just awesome, so keep an eye on that. Talking about the description note, remember that down here you will find actually the supporter link, where on coffee you can offer me and give me a coffee. This is super important for me to keep myself being independent on this publication as well as also the link for uh, the contribution the covid jar contribution to see watch you know already what to do click the link and please help me arrive into 500 bucks uh 500 euros just to be clear because i actually change currency from time to time but this case being sea watch based in germany is going to be europe the 400 bucks that are already there or around 400 bucks that are already there are the ones coming out from a personal covid jar and every time that i mention covid or whatever related to that 
everything went to the jar and now it's at sea watches um i think that's it for this time yes remember to link share subscribe connect do whatever you want uh for the podcast in whatever uh Yes, whatever platform you're listening to that. And stay tuned because next week is going to be another sustainable conversation on the Brunwagen. Ciao.